Good morning and happy May. We are pushing further and further in the spring. We are seeing the transformation of brown all around to green grass, budding trees, colorful flowers. My allergies hate this time of year, but I love it. I love it. And there's another thing that I love, and it is the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. I am so grateful for his forgiveness. And I know, I know I'm not the only one. I am amazed that he has forgiven me, not just of everything I've ever done, but I've already gotten his promise that he's going to forgive me of everything I've, I'm ever going to commit against him. That boggles my mind. Does anyone have trouble processing God's forgiveness? Do you imagine someone coming to you and say, hey, I'm sorry for hurting you the other day. Will you forgive me for that and for everything I'm going to ever do bad against you from here on out? Uh, ask me when that happens. No. But yeah, God is so generous, so awesome. Let me tell you a little bit of uh, the forgiveness of God through a story from a guy named Art, one of my friends. Art is a guy I got to know about 15 years ago. He was a photographer, and he worked with my wife at a studio in the mall. Um, Art had an eye for beauty, an eye for taking pictures. He was a wonderful photographer. He lived in Great Bend, Pennsylvania, which he called the center of the known universe. And that's how he signed all of his emails, Art from Great Bend, PA, center of the known universe. Um, Art and I were of different ages, uh, different ideas about life, different ideas about God, but we became friends. And something I loved about Art is he had a hunger for spiritual things, even though he didn't believe in them. And he had genuine questions about God, about nature, about life and death. And so Art just fascinated me with his questions. And I, and I saw in him a sincere and genuine hunger to understand what he couldn't wrap his mind around. 
And so for years, him and I would meet up. We'd do lunch together at Chinese buffets, and we would talk about life. We would talk about heaven and hell. We'd talk about the Bible. And Art got so hungry spiritually that he eventually started joining us every week at Berean online from the center of the known universe, and he would watch us each week. And what Art would do is he would sit at his computer watching us taking notes, tons of notes, in the forms of questions, and when the message was over, he would copy and paste them into an email and send them to me. And I would get these lengthy emails from Art with all of his questions. And we would have these dialogues through email throughout the week. And Art even went so far as to purchase Bible software so that when I was teaching, he could be comparing what I was saying with the Bible and with the software and double-checking things and asking lots of questions. I thought, God has put a hunger in this man's heart for a reason, but Art had a past. And he had made choices he wasn't proud of, and he had memories that haunted him from his childhood. And he couldn't get to the point of asking Jesus to forgive him. And I kept encouraging him to do so. People that knew him would pray for him. I would pray for him. But he wouldn't budge as hungry as he was. And then tragedy struck for Art. He was diagnosed with cancer. Uh, His cancer was uh, untreatable. And his health began to decline. And so I would uh, remain in touch with him even more urgently as his health declined. And eventually he wound up in the hospital with his health failing. And so one night, it was actually a little after midnight, I was on the phone with him, he was in the hospital, and I was having these spiritual conversations with him, hoping against hope that as time ran out, right, his clock was running out, that he would do it. And you know, I just asked him again that night after midnight, I said, are, are you ready? Do you know where you're going? Have you made peace with God? Do you, you know, no, no. I said, do you, re- do you remember how? We've had these conversations. Do you remember how to make peace with God? He said, yeah, I remember how. Maybe I'll see you on the other side someday. <laughs> so, you know, I hung up the phone and really had trouble going to sleep that night, thinking he's this close. And he's so far, so far from God and yet so close. So two days later was a Sunday, and after church that day, I went down to the hospital and went by his bedside and began talking to him. And Art just looked up at me very weak, very obviously at the end. And, and he looked at me and he, he said, I finally did it. <laughs> I'm like, did what? <laughs> Go to the bathroom? I mean, clarify for me. I really need to know. Did, did you surrender your life to Jesus, Art? Yes. Are, are you sure? Yes. And Art was one of those guys, he would not say something he didn't mean. And I was so excited, I was blown away. And before I left, I figured it was my last time seeing him. He, there were some other people in the room, so he just he kind of pulled me down right to his chest and he whispered in, into my ear, And this was, this was two days after he had made this decision to follow Jesus. He said, Justin, I've, I've been back and forth a few times in the last two days. 
and I saw people, and I saw light. And I just looked at him and said, Art, you don't have to be afraid of that light anymore. You know where you're going. And he just, he just, in weakness and in pain, he nodded his head and he said, I'm not afraid anymore. A lifetime of regret, a lifetime of pain. And in a moment, he was forgiven of it all. <laughs> it seems too good to be true, doesn't it? But that's our awesome God. His forgiveness is good, but it's also true. Today, I want to talk about a story that Jesus told. And it's in your copy of the scripture as well as mine, Matthew chapter 20. And you can meet me there in Matthew 20. And this is a parable that has to do with heaven. And we're going to have a little bit of fun studying through this today because it's an interesting teaching that Jesus is trying to get across. These parables were stories that Jesus told that just messed up religious people. People who were like Art, who were far from God, got his stories, but people who thought they were close to God often didn't or were upset by what the stories meant. And this is another, another one of those. Um, as, you're, as you're going there to Matthew 20, a couple things. First, everyone joining us uh, virtually online, welcome. Thanks for joining us. I'm going to do something here in the room right now, so just hold tight. I'm going to ask if there's any math whizzes in the room right now. Are there any people who are pretty good at math? You can do math in your head. While people are doing the calculator, usually beat them to it. Do we have some math wizards? We've got some. Okay. All right. So, so here, here's a little challenge for you this morning, okay? I'm going to give you a math problem. First person to get the right answer. You just yell it out. Okay. Here we go. What is 2,458 times 8,000? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. What is 2,458 plus 73? No cheating, no calculators, no writing this down. 2,458 plus 73. Come on, math whizzes. John, you nailed it. You nailed it. Come, come on up here. Come on up here. 2,531 in his head. No help. The snack that can't wait because you don't wait. Nice job. <laughs> give, give him a hand. That was impressive. If you need your taxes done, he's available after the service. All right, so. Piper? Piper, come on, come on up here. I got something for you, too. Do you like Snicker bars? Yes. <laughs> Good. Good. Get Piper in. <laughs> Some of you are really scratching your head right now. You can understand why John got one, but you don't quite understand why Piper did, right? If you're, if you're a little confused by that scratching your head, well, then you're just like the people that heard Jesus' story and they were scratching their head over the same thing. 
they just didn't get this. So let's look at this story, and we'll come back, we'll come back to this. Let me give you some context to this story first. So what had just happened before Jesus told this story is that this wealthy leader comes to Jesus, and he asks Jesus the question, and the question is very simple. How do I get into heaven? And Jesus' response was, well, it's simple, be perfect. If you want to earn your way to heaven, that's, that's the admission. You've got to be perfect. That's the price. And the man replies that he has his whole life kept the Ten Commandments. He's a religious guy. He's kept the Ten Commandments his whole life. And so Jesus says, great, you know, wonderful. So just one more thing. Go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And the poor young man's like, ah, uh, uh, isn't there something else I could do, right? And so he walks away disappointed because he had great wealth. And the disciples are looking at this and they're like, what is going on right now? And Jesus just says, well, he's just proved how impossible it is for a rich man to get into heaven. And they look at him and they're like, well, then how can anyone go to heaven? And he said, well, with God, all things are possible. And so then their wheels are turning as they're looking at this rich man who walked away because he couldn't give up all his stuff. And their wheels are turning and they're like, wait a minute, we've given up all our stuff to follow you. And they ask him this question in verse 27 of the previous chapter, 19. Peter said, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? We're not like this guy who walks away. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. In other words, there are eternal rewards for those who give up for Jesus in this life. You're, when, when you give up, when you sacrifice for Jesus down here, you are banking on the other side where moth and rust can't destroy and where thieves can't break in and steal. And so Jesus is explaining this, this teaching of eternal rewards. There are absolutely rewards in eternity for those who follow Jesus and give up a lot to follow Jesus or whatever amount you'll be rewarded in proportion to that. But then Jesus adds one little caveat in verse 30. He says, but whenever Jesus adds that, he's about to drop a truth, and he does so here. That's hard to understand. But many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. Jesus was really good at making people scratch their heads. And he drops this truth just to kind of warn them, hey guys, you're getting all excited right now about heaven. You just saw this rich young ruler miss out on heaven because he couldn't walk away and follow me. You've already walked away from everything and follow me. I've just told you about eternal rewards. But, 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 guys... As excited as you are about heaven, you've got to know something. Heaven may not work exactly like you expect. It may not be just an equation you punch into a calculator and get the correct answer. And then he tells them a story to illustrate what he's getting at. So let's read his story. Here we go, chapter 20. For the kingdom of heaven is like... So this is what a parable would be. It'd be an earthly story 
that'd be conveying a heavenly truth. The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, this would have been three hours after the start of the Jewish workday, 6 a.m. was when they started their workday. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again at noon, about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and still others found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? (laughs) Because no one has hired us, they answered. And he said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, that'd be 6 p.m., that was the end of the Jewish workday, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages. Beginning with the last ones hired, and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon, how long had they worked for? An hour. Came and each received a denarius. So when those who came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But the landowner, he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Let me break this down a little bit and share a little bit more that would have been obvious to Jesus' hearers that's not as obvious to us. Vineyard work is the story Jesus talks about. Vineyard work was common in that day. It was also very difficult. The reason it was very difficult is because vineyards were often planted on terraced hillsides. And if you've ever been over to the Middle East and you've seen all the hills and you see these terraced hillsides, it's beautiful, fascinating. The challenge is to get good soil to these terraced Uh, vineyards, you would have to carry that soil from a great distance and you'd be walking and working up and down these rocky hillsides all day. It's not easy work. The challenge also would be in, in harvest season. You had to harvest quickly to preserve the fruit, the grapes, very, very quickly before the rainy season come and they were all spoiled. So it was backbreaking, demanding, stressful labor. And to accomplish the, the task during the crush of harvest season, the landowners would go into the marketplace and they'd find people there that wanted to be hired. They were unskilled, uneducated day laborers. And you'd go and you'd barter with them for a wage and, and try to hire them at the beginning of the day, get a full day's work out of them. And in that day, to be offered a denarius, that was the pay, that was the rate of pay for a Roman soldier. 
That was really good money. These unskilled day laborers would not have been offered a denarius typically in the market. So when they're offered this, they don't even negotiate instantly. <laughs> yeah, we will absolutely put in a 12-hour day to earn the pay of a Roman soldier. You kidding me? And so they, they know they're going to get good pay. They work hard all day. At the end of the day, all through the day, these, these guys who were hired at the crack of dawn, before dawn, they, they were hired at 4 or 5 in the morning. They got to work at 6 in the morning. They've been working all day. But all through the day, these other workers are coming onto these terraced hillsides and working alongside them. And they're thinking, oh, okay, whatever. You know, he needed more workers. But then pay time comes, and these latecomers are paid a denarius. Immediately, these guys are thinking, okay, well, if they're getting a denarius, I can't wait to see what my pay is going to be. I've worked for 12 hours. Some of these guys have been here for an hour. And, and the pay comes to them, and it's a denarius, and they're instantly feeling, this is unfair. This is so patently unfair. And the landowner hears their grumbling and responds to them and just says, guys, at the crack of dawn this morning when I hired you, you didn't grumble about me offering you this pay. You were thrilled. You didn't even negotiate. You instantly came to work for me knowing I was going to give you more than anyone else was offering. And you've worked for me all day and I gave you exactly what I promised you. Why are you now grumbling? Why is it no longer good enough what I offered you? And Jesus here exposes that their concern isn't about justice. Their concern is envy. They're envious that these guys who barely got out there got the same pay as us. And Jesus uses this story to teach a heavenly truth. And the heavenly truth is really simple. Which workers deserve the denarius? None of them. That was not the wage that you should have got for working in a vineyard. None of them deserved the denarius. But when it came time for pay time, who thought they deserved the denarius? Those who had been there all day. So, so there's some really cool things that we can learn from this story that Jesus is teaching. First of all is this. Our Catholic friends have been taught that there's this place called purgatory. It's pre-heaven, and it's where you become worthy to enter heaven. If you still have sins that need to be dealt with and atoned for, it happens in purgatory. And you spend a long time there. People try to pray you out to get to heaven. And the reality is, when you hear the story, is it possible there's a purgatory? No way. Jesus eliminates that possibility right with this one story. There's no way that anybody's ever going to somehow become worthy of heaven. So, okay, he's not just talking about the timing of heaven, that, that, you know, at payday, at judgment day, those who follow Jesus, those who listen to the landowner get the payment. He's also talking about something more than that, clearly, because you have different workers coming at different times who get an equal rate of pay. And what he's trying to tell us is that You've got someday at the judgment day, people like Billy Graham, 
who served Jesus their whole lives and led millions of people to the truth. And you've got them getting the same heaven as people like my friend Art, who came in just under the wire. And, and you can just imagine in that crowd that day, the religious people who are listening to Jesus thinking, well, well this is just patently unfair. I thought you said there are eternal rewards. Well, Jesus had. There are eternal rewards. But it's the same heaven that you get to go to enjoy those eternal rewards. There's not two heavens. There's not a pre-heaven purgatory that you work your way into heaven. There's one heaven. And in some religious people's mind, not only does this feel unfair, but there'd be the sense that heaven gets cheapened. Heaven gets cheapened by it being so wide open and available to those who are so messed up, who, who came to Jesus at the last minute. Heaven just seems cheapened now, just like those early workers, that denarius doesn't seem as great at the end of the day as it seemed at the beginning. It just seems like it's worth less. But here's a cool concept about heaven that Jesus is trying to teach and he taught through other stories is people like art being in heaven doesn't make heaven less special, it makes it more special. Because people like art will be walking those golden streets knowing just how unworthy they are to be there. And they will be going to the throne of Jesus, approaching the throne of Jesus, knowing just how unworthy they are to be there because they, they fought against him their whole life. They rebelled against him their whole life. And they somehow got entrance at the last moment to go into his presence. Sometimes we think about heaven and we think about what are we going to do when we get there, right? I can only imagine who we're going to meet and some of us have loved ones that we certainly hope are there and we want to meet and talk to. But, but then many of us have a queue of people we want to talk to. Some of you, maybe you want to meet Moses or Abraham. Or, you know, who are these people of faith? Maybe you bump into Paul. And Paul the apostle is a guy who spent half of his life not just disliking Jesus, but killing his followers. Half of his life. And then you're going to meet people like Art, who spent his entire life on the other side of Jesus, rejecting Jesus' forgiveness. And then you're going to meet, you're going to meet a guy <laughs> who died the same day as Jesus. He was actually hanging on a cross next to Jesus. And some of you know this story. When Jesus was dying on that cross, there, was, there were two criminals, one on his left, one on his right. And as they were hanging there, the one hurled insults and mocked him. And the other one defended Jesus and just looked at Jesus and says, Lord, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus looked at him and said, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, thinking through this parable, 
If the workday is 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., what time was it when that guy got hired to work in Jesus' vineyard? 5.59. It wasn't even five, right? 5.59. What did he have to offer Jesus? He could not go join a church. He couldn't ask the Roman soldiers for permission to get off and get baptized real quick and come back on. He, he couldn't figure out his spiritual gifts. He couldn't go through the growth process. He couldn't join a connect group. He couldn't do anything. He had nothing to offer Jesus other than a few of his final breaths. And you know the crazy thing is? For Jesus, that was enough. He hired him at 559. The guy was dead within hours and got to go to the same heaven as Billy Graham. See, the challenge is religious people, those of us that were maybe young when we came to Jesus, and we've spent our lifetimes learning about Jesus, following Jesus, being involved with church, serving Jesus, there's a sense for us as we're trying to save up for our eternal rewards. There's a sense for us as we're trying to store in heaven where moth and rust can't destroy and thieves can't break in and steal. There's a sense for us where we're on our way to heaven and we know we are and we're secure in our faith and we're excited, but there's a sense where we feel like maybe I'll walk into heaven and have something to bring. All right, I'm, 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 I'm wearing my own clothes like we learned last week. Or, or I'm bringing some stuff. And the reality is, what is it that Jesus wants from us? Nothing. Literally, the only thing that Jesus asks us to give is ourself. And the thief on the cross, the day Jesus died, gave Jesus himself. And that was all Jesus asked. And those of us who have given Jesus our life, who have given Jesus years, we get the same heaven as that thief on the cross. And that doesn't cheapen heaven in any way. That makes heaven richer and more meaningful and more joyous. Jesus told a story one day about those who are forgiven of much are grateful for much. It's going to be some of those people like Art and those thieves on the cross who are going to make heaven so joyous because they're going to be walking around feeling fully unworthy to be there. And the truth is, who's unworthy to be there? All of us. But they're going to remind us of it every day with their joy, with their gratitude, with their awe to be able to be in heaven. And some of us are going to go anticipating, well, yeah, I expected I would be there since I was four years old. But I am just as unworthy. Now, one of my favorite ladies in the world, besides my wife, is this lady. What's her name? Lady Justice, right? Lady Justice, scales of justice. And my parents, when they named me, for whatever reason, they named me Justin, which means full of justice, and I'm definitely full of something. 
But ever since I was young, I've had a thing for justice. Whenever I saw something that was unjust or unfair, man, I wanted to, I wanted to right those scales. I wanted to make it fair. And I've always been bothered when I've seen injustice or unfairness. I've always struggled with that. And as a kid, I, I noticed something fairly quickly. It's that my parents weren't really that fair. Anybody else have parents that weren't that fair? I noticed that some of my siblings got to stay up later than me. I noticed that some kids got more sugar than other kids. And every year, some of us would be homeschooled. Some would go to private Christian school or private other school. Others would go to public school. And every year, my parents would make a decision about each kid differently. And it was just this constant state of unfairness. And there was a thing in me that's, I'm, I'm not going to do that. And the older I got, the more I saw the wisdom in what they were doing. They were intentionally not fair. They were intentionally, rather than thinking that fairness is it's got to be equal, in their mind, fairness meant giving each kid what they needed. Some kids in my family needed earlier bedtimes. Some kids in my family needed less sugar. Some kids, in my fam- and, and some kids in my family needed different types of education because of the way that they learned or their personality. So now as an adult, guess what type of parenting philosophy I've adopted? Unfairness. I'm doing the same thing because I realized how wise it was to give each kid what they need, not fairly across the board, doing the same thing for every kid without taking into account who they are. And, and as I've grown and hopefully matured and gained wisdom, I realized that not only was this my parents' philosophy of equality and fairness, it's God's philosophy. God's not about giving to everyone equally. God's heart and desire is to take our worst and exchange it for his best and to give us what we need. Check this out. Heaven is not about what you can give to God. It's about what God wants to give to you. And God has such a different view of fairness and equality than you and I do. Now, going back for a moment to our math whiz here, When he got his reward, there were smiles all around this room. But when Piper came up to get hers, there was looks of confusion. Huh? What? What'd she do? Now here's the reality. Did John deserve a snicker? Is there anything that says if you go to Berean Bible Church and answer a math question, you earn a candy bar? That's in no code or law that I'm aware of anywhere. This was just a generous gift. I had decided in advance I was going to give to the first math whiz who popped out the right answer. And I already decided in advance I was going to give the same gift to a young girl here. Just because I wanted to. Neither of them earned it, but both of them had to come to me to get it. And the beauty of heaven 
is that no one earns it and no one can deserve it. But anybody that wants it has to go to Jesus to get it. And anybody who comes to Jesus can get it. Now, a word of warning, a word of warning. Some people will hear this story and, and, and they think through and they're like, oh, I get it. If I wait to accept Jesus until the very end of my life, I still get heaven. So I'm gonna do whatever I want until I die. And some people have done that and that would be an excellent strategy if you knew when you were going to die. But graveyards are filled with bodies of people who didn't know they were going to die. Or maybe they knew they were going to die, they had no idea it was going to be the date on that tombstone. They had no idea it would be that year, that month, and that day. No idea. And that's why God says, today is the day of salvation. Don't play Russian roulette and think when I'm older, later, I'll give my life to God. I, I don't want to give up my younger years. I don't want to give up these years of my life. I, I want to kind of do what I want to do now and later on I'll follow God. That's playing Russian roulette with heaven. Your soul is eternal. It will live forever. It will live forever somewhere. You don't want to play Russian roulette with your soul. And so please don't hear this story and think, well, I'll just wait till the end of my life. Because you don't know when you're taking your last breath. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. But I do want you to understand that no matter when a person receives Jesus, when they're seven years old or they're 77 years old. They get to enjoy the same heaven because they didn't earn it and they didn't deserve it, but Jesus gave it to them freely. Imagine with me a church filled with people who are grateful for a home in heaven someday. Imagine with me people who aren't trying to earn their place in heaven. People who are just grateful for Jesus' forgiveness and they're seeking to live in a way that just honors their heavenly father. And instead of looking down on people who aren't here, instead of looking down on unbelievers, they're lovingly inviting them to faith and praying that one day they'll join them in heaven someday. This is the humility and the winsomeness that marks followers of Jesus. And with God's help, I believe this is becoming the description of you and me. Because heaven isn't something that we bring to God. It's not about what we bring or give to God. It's about what God wants to give to you. And to me. Do me a favor and bow with me. And I want to close by sharing with you a, a closing words, I guess, that I shared at Art's funeral. 
which we held here at Berean. And this was my final message to Art at his funeral that day. Here's what I said. I said, Art, I will miss you. These past eight years, I've grown to consider you a friend. And I'm going to miss our lunches that we enjoyed together at the Chinese buffets. We had so many conversations and you asked so many good questions and you were on a path to spiritual and physical healing. And we've been praying with you and for you each step of the way. Today, our, I hope that your questions are being answered better than I ever could. And I'm overjoyed that Sunday you chose to put your faith in Jesus. I could see him give you a peace that you never had before. I saw him took away your, take away your fear of death. And I saw him give you a forgiveness that you have been longing for for a long, long time. Art, I, I got to admit I'm a bit jealous that you beat me to the other side. But I am so grateful you're there. Remember to take a picture and send it back to me, you promised. <laughs> I loved Art. And I am so glad that God gave him the faith to believe in his final moments. I pray that God gives you that same faith while you have time. And if you have faith and you already believe, I pray that you join me on a rescue mission to invite more people to join our team. No one deserves to be on Jesus' team. <laughs> but neither do any of us in here. Thank God he is not fair. Thank God that he gives us his best in exchange for our worst. What a generous, gracious, loving God we serve. Father, thank you for letting Jesus tell this story to open our minds about the inequality of heaven. God, at the end of the day, none of us deserve heaven. All of us deserve to pay for our sins in hell. Thank you for giving us what we don't deserve. Lord, help us to lovingly continue to put out the invitation to heaven to all of those around us letting them know that they can be forgiven no matter their past, no matter their age, that you love them just as much. God, thank you for being such a kind and generous and gracious and loving and forgiving God. And today, as we close in this song, we, we do so in just praise to you. In Jesus' name.